impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. Welcome to the Modern Man Podcast, where we connect men in pursuit of their potential. Join us as we embrace discomfort, cultivate community, and put wind in each other's sails. If you're ready to take your personal and professional growth to the next level, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to check out the Noble Knights Mastermind Group, where you'll find the support, accountability, and mentorship you need to achieve your goals. Join us and become a part of a community of like-minded men on a mission to improve themselves and elevate their capacity for life. And we are getting wind in our sails by a guest that I must say I'm excited to have, Dr. John Martini, human behavior expert, author, global speaker, taking time to be on the podcast today. Dr. Martini, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. I'm the one that's grateful. Thank you. Uh, definitely. Well, before we jump into the topic, I, I know a lot of folks probably know who you are already, but I want to give our audience an opportunity to hear from your words, kind of your introduction, who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of jump into the topic of conversation from there. But please, I'd love to give you the floor really quick. Well, I'm an educator and a researcher and a writer and a traveler. And I full-time teach and do those things. And I've been doing it over 50 years now. Yeah. So I, I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing than doing what I can to learn anything to do with maximizing human awareness and potential, anything to do with helping people live extraordinary, magnificent, inspired lives, anything to do with helping people break through whatever they feel is in the way and turn it on the way. Yeah. I'm interested in it. I love that. And and what resonates so much with me is the fact that when you mentioned can't imagine doing anything else, because I think there's an unfortunate reality for a, a lot of people and a lot of them listening to this podcast right now who are doing something, but they can imagine a, a plethora of other things that they'd rather be doing. Um, but there's just this block between where they are and where they want to go. So I guess we could start the conversation there, right, is how do we find ourselves? in this unfortunate scenario, whether it be our day job, whether it be our day to day, where it's just not fitting with who we feel we are and what is blocking us from taking that step, that leap or making it past that threshold to go in the direction where we probably to our to our hearts know we should go. OK, I could go off on lots of different things from what you just said on that intro, please, but I'll I'll make this statement. That every human being, regardless of age or gender spectrum or cultural background, lives moment by moment with a unique fingerprint-specific set of priorities or values. Mm. Whatever that hierarchy of values, set of values that they're filtering their reality with, making decisions with, and acting upon, Whenever they do th actions that are aligned and congruent with what they value most, they excel. Mm. Because you're, they're spontaneously inspired to fulfill what they value most. But anytime they attempt to pursue anything lower on those values, they become more and more extrinsically driven values and they require external motivation to keep them going on it. And they procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate. And then they end up thinking there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. There's nothing really wrong with them. They just haven't really quite identified what's truly priority to themselves. So. 
and they're going by what they think it should be, according to some injected value from tradition, convention, MRAs, and people out there that they admire. Anytime we put somebody on a pedestal, intellectually or in business or financially or relationships or social or physical or spiritually, we'll tend to minimize ourselves, inject those people's values in life, cloud the clarity of our own highest values, what inspire us, and lose our vitality and our clarity and our leadership spontaneous leadership capacities. So subordinating to the outer authorities and trying to fit in instead of stand out and not give yourself permission to live according congruently according to what you value most and not prioritizing your daily actions and not delegating lower priority things, crap mm. people. Yeah. I used to say um, a lot when I was little growing up, like, why don't I fit in? Why don't I fit in? Right. I always felt different. And then there was a switch somewhere in my 20s where I was like, oh, I'm meant to stand out. Like I'm supposed to stand out. And I've learned that because I stand out, being a meteorologist in my day job, I've heard, Ted, you're unlike any meteorologist I know. Well, that's why people remember me. Right. Oh, you're unlike this. And so I've realized that standing out has actually been my gift. But for some, whether it be the history of excommunication where being separated from the tribe meant death. We are so afraid to swim against the current and go against the norm. What's behind that? Because kind of what you're saying is we have these values, we have the answers within us, yet for some reason it's mute and we can't tap into that. Why are we having such a hard time breaking away from the norm? Well, you just said it. And most great thinkers and philosophers have had their own ways of saying it, but you just said it. Thousands of years ago, when we were nomadic and individualized, and maybe a man and a woman and a child or whatever living in the middle of nowhere, uh, we didn't depend on other people. We were self-dependent. But the second we found out there was another group there, and somebody was a little better at making a bow and arrow, and somebody else was better at making a fire and somebody else is better at this, we started to differentiate and create, in a sense, a class society based on the division of labor. And we became gradually more and more and more and more dependent on the group because we had our, our specialty. The specialty gave us an advantage socially, economically, but it gave us a disadvantage as far as psychologically because now we're frightened of not fitting in because the group can make us die. They can excommunicate us. They can, they can put us out to pasture. And so the fear of loss of fitting in became stronger and stronger and stronger for most people. But unless you're an unborrowed visionary, unless you're willing to walk a different path, you're not going to make the difference and actually contribute the maximum potential that you have. And Ernest Becker in his denial of death talked about the difference between conformity and enormity. Most people are into conformity and fitting in, and then they get lost in the herd instead of going out and getting herd. And so if you're not being crucified by the many, you're probably not being original. <laughs> but if you live by your highest value, you have the most courage, the most persistence to be an individual. So that's why prioritization is one of the keys. The second you live by the highest priority and you excel, you gain confidence and you end up waking up leadership skills and you end up 
becoming the individuals that people want to go and ask questions to and want to go and exemplify. You're the, you're exemplifying what's possible and they're drawn to you magnetically. So the very crowd that wants to tear you down is also the ones that un, unconsciously yearn to be in your position. Mm. So I'd rather not follow a crowd. I'd rather build a crowd <laughs> and create a crowd and create a new, you know, create a, a leading a crowd instead of following a crowd. Mm. So I was always a little bit dodd. You know, I was a left-hander, <laughs> you know, dyslexic, you know, you know, I, I did everything differently. So that, that's, that's part of the game, but you know, the, the misfit as, as Steve Jobs said, is the one that ends up going and do, does something, the square peg in a round hall, as he called it, mm. but giving yourself permission to be unique, giving yourself permission to be authentic, giving yourself permission to blaze a new trail based on original thinking that comes, you know, spontaneously from your heart into expression is the difference between an ordinary life and an extraordinary life. And so I, I, I am absolutely certain studying human values for 45 of the 50 years I've been teaching, identifying what you really, 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 really life's demonstrating as important to you and values and sticking to them and mm. not necessarily subordinating, saying thank you, but no thank you to the crowd. Yeah. That doesn't mean don't be respectful. It doesn't mean don't communicate in a way where you, you share your ideas where in a way that helps the crowd. It just means don't subordinate and don't counteract the crowd. People that are condemning the crowd are actually running their life by the crowd. But mm. people who are leading the crowd and inspiring the crowd with a new idea, they're the ones that are actually leaving their mark in history. They're the legacy builders. That's amazing because what I what I took at the onset of what you explained and then leading into what you kind of mentioned is leading the crowd was the specialty equaled the advantage, but the disadvantage was everybody wanted to fit in, right? So if you're part of the crowd without a specialty, you get lost in the noise. You're just a, a number and you're just kind of part of the waves and it's easy to be overlooked. But if you're amongst the crowd, but yet you stand out in that crowd, that right there is the secret. And for some, they might be afraid of the spotlight or they might say, okay, I don't need, it's not about me, right? <laughs> I've, this is something I've had to combat as someone who has been a little outspoken, as someone who's had these ambitions in life. Uh, a lot of them will tell you, you know, it's not all about you. And I had to think to myself, am I being conceited? Am I putting something else out there? But for some, maybe it's a self-talk to try and limit their visibility to others to try and stay safe because it can be dangerous kind of sticking out of the crowd. I want to talk well, about, please. Yeah. You know, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said a nice thing. If you're to be great is to be misunderstood. You know, I, I just, I always say that to myself that to be great is to be misunderstood. So if you're not being misunderstood, you're probably fitting in. <laughs> if you're being misunderstood, that means you're probably leading a new paradigm. And uh, if you're not being crucified, you're probably not on purpose. So you you have to be willing to be called the hero and the villain and allow both supporters and challengers to grow in numbers until you create a culture that you lead. Mm. I'd like to talk about that exact thing. The, I guess the process in establishing and learning and understanding one's values, because I think we've been kind of showered as you mentioned, when we put others on a pedestal, whether it be the values and the teachings from our parents, um, from our teachers, society in general, our friends group, we have all these external noise 
that have molded us in a million different ways. When when I asked myself for the first time, all right, Ted, what do you want? I, I quite frankly didn't know the answer because I was so busy pleasing everybody else. And a lot of our listeners, a lot of our viewers are probably in that situation where they can they can think to themselves, okay, I want to stick out. I want to identify my hierarchy of values, prioritize and find out what's important to me, but they just don't know what that process looks like. What would you recommend they do to start? Well, since I've been called Mr. Values and I've been teaching about <laughs> values for 45 years, I um, I started out at, when I was 23 years old exploring what drives human beings really before that, but that's when I really started studying values. And uh, the value determination process that were out there were flimsy, the best. You know, you artificially pick what you think is what it should be, ought to be, supposed to be, got to be, have to be, must, need to be, et cetera, by social imperatives, mores, traditions, conventions, religious dogma, who knows where it comes from. None of that is what is really what it's at. So I had to go through and create a, a more objective vehicle to discern the values of individuals. Because if you just ask somebody, and I've asked a lot of people, I mean, we're talking about millions, how many, you know, what their values are. Only one had their values accurate. Wow. Only one, a lady from Israel, only one. So most people are confusing their ideologies and their, their ideals, social ideals of what they think they want Whereas what their life demonstrates. Your values are revealed through what your life demonstrates. Now, if, could I give a, an elaboration on that and explain that? Please, please, yeah. So I was in uh, South Africa, Johannesburg, and I was speaking at a success summit. I was the opening speaker. Richard Branson was the final speaker. I was the opening speaker, and there were some speakers in between. And it was on uh, business and finance, you know, building wealth and building business. And so I asked, there were about 5,000, few hundred people in there. And I said, how many of you would love to be financially independent where your passive income exceeds your active income and you only work because you love to, not because you have to? Well, 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
between what people say they want and what they're actually having? Don't you think that's kind of odd? It's like a 99% discrepancy. Mm -hmm. I said, I want to tell you why today. No, I'm going to show you why. Everybody get a piece of paper out. They all rustle and get paper. I said, with your pen, I'm going to hand you 10 million US dollars right now. So everybody receive that. Just go, okay, I got $10 million on a pallet, 10 million US dollars. Okay. That's yours. Now, here's the, here's the thing. You've got 60 seconds to tell me what you're going to do with that. <laughs> and you have to write the 10 things you're going to do with that money. You only have 60 seconds. You better write fast. The 10 things you're going to do with that $10 million. And when I say get started and go, go. When I say stop, you have to put your pen down. On your mark, get set, go. Oh, everybody's writing it down, writing it down. I want to hurry up and get it. You know. I said, stop, 60 seconds. Take your piece of paper and hand it to the person on your left. And now on the left, whoever you are, be as honest as you can. Look at what they spent their money on and find out how many assets are remaining versus things they spent that were consumables that depreciate in value. Wow. <laughs> and I got, and then we went around the room and we got a percentage. It ranged between 20 and 80%. Of 80% of the people in the room, 20 to 80% was spent on consumables that depreciate in value, which means even though they say they want to be wealthy and financially independent, they don't. They want to spend their money on consumables that depreciate to live vicariously through other people's brands to compare themselves to other people, the Joneses. <laughs> now, when I got through, it was quiet. And they went, ooh, I can't, I can't put on my bullshit facade because everybody just, the guys next to me just knows the truth. And everybody got to know the truth of everybody else. Mm -hmm. So most of the people bought that house and bought that car and bought that trip and bought that boat and bought those clothes and bought that ring and bought that this and bought that. There were only a handful of people, handful. They put their money purely into assets and let it compound and grow. Wow. Either properties that compounded or stocks that compounded. I'm talking about almost like the same seven people. <laughs> so now the room is quiet. And I said, now, are you ready to get past your BS and really take serious now this topic called financial independence? Mm -hmm. Because until you do, you're going to live in a fantasy. And if you have a higher value on buying consumables that depreciate and spending money and thinking financial independence is spending money like the rich and famous, like Nicolas Cage, who went bankrupt, mm -hmm. or buying assets, which is kind of boring, but it grows and it starts to give you a crescendo life instead of a decrescendo life. Mm -hmm. And then I got their attention. I said, well, then let's now take a look at it because the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. Tell me what your values are and the order in which they are, and I'll tell you how you're going to spend your money. 
If you have a very high value on travel, you're going to spend a lot on travel. If you have a high value on your family, you're going to spend it on your family. If you have high value on nice dinners and going out to places and clubs and parties, and you're going to spend it there. But unless you have a high value on actually buying assets that go up in value and patiently deferring gratification towards an objective of financial independence, it's improbable. Mm. Impossible, just improbable. So let's put probability on our side. Let's take a look at what our values are. And let's take a, a look at where financial independence and wealth building really are on those values. And then we'll just make a decision. Are we going to set goals that match that and quit living in a fantasy and beating ourselves up, wondering why it's not happening? Or are we going to actually shift our values so we can increase the probability of that actually becoming real? That's what our day is today about. And I only yeah. have a short period with you, less than an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually to elaborate on that when we identify the values, because I think it's it's beautiful and it sounds great for financial freedom. It sounds great for passive income. I've kind of been leaning more towards active income, effective income, I was starting to call it, because I don't necessarily want to just sit around and do nothing. I understand I want time freedom, but if I can operate in the things that I love and that makes enough income to provide that, that's something I can lean into. For somebody who might recognize, okay, I say passive income is a value, but clearly it's not. Uh, something you touched on about sustaining change, right? How long could somebody maybe white knuckle that and prioritize investing in these assets, prioritize setting up that passive income if it's not no, it's truly not, valued? It's not, no, 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 no. Changing values isn't a, just to say, oh, I'm now going to change my values and this is what it's going to be. That has nothing to do with changing values. That's the delusion most people have. Mm. It doesn't take willpower. When you changed your values, you spontaneously do something different. You don't have to willfully do it and go, okay, because that's called repression. You're repressing what you really want to do and end up eventually blowing it and ex exploding on, on spending money. Okay. No, first we identify what your values are. We identify where it is on the values. And I'm all for working. I, I'm financially independent 50 times over, but I work. 18 hour days. Sometimes mm. I love doing what I love doing. I do it every single day, but I don't have to do it. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a big difference. Mm. There's a difference. I live, I'm right now sailing on my yacht right now in, in mm. Alexandria, Egypt. <laughs> so the reality is doing it not for the sake of doing nothing. Cause if you're doing that money without meaning, it leads to debauchery. Money with meaning mm. leads to philanthropy. I'd much rather be philanthropic and do something, a service to the world than sitting there and being debaucherous and just sit and do nothing. Mm. So I'm not promoting the idea of, you know, getting money so you don't have to do anything. Mm. I am interested in getting money so you can be philanthropically and direct it instead of necessarily giving it to social taxes and putting it into something that may not be inspiring to you mm. or doing something to be able to do what you can to educate or inspire or do something that means something to the world that you feel isn't meaningful to you. But to determine your values, there are 13 value determinants I found. And the first one is space. Hmm. Okay. You look around in the back of you, you look at what you got back there. You got alchemy, mm -hmm. right? You got about how to how to transform yourself. You were talking about I want to be a I want to be a person that makes a globe. I want to be an award-winning person. Mm -hmm. You know, that that shows up on your space, doesn't it? 
Yeah. And that you're an educated yeah. person. You want to learn and read and that you're organized and you have you want to bring order to the world. That shows up in your space, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So your proxemic space, your intimate and personal space, which is a foot and a half to about four feet within you. If you look at what are the top three items that are most consistently in your space, you spend the most interaction with within a foot and a half to four feet of you within reach that you're in front of in your most likely spot. You spend most of your time. You look there and look at whether the three items there itemize what those are and what are the dominant use of what they are. And it'll tell you what's important to you because you fill your space with things that are important and you push things out of your space. It's not. So one of the indications about what's really valuable to you is how do you fill your space? If you're a mother and you absolutely love your kids, the kids around you all day. If you're a scholar, books and reading and research and computer around you. But if you're a, a, a person who's a, an athlete, gym equipment may be around you or running equipment may be around you. So whatever you fill your space with, that's the first indicator. And I can look at person's space and what they've got in their space and it tells you something about their their life. Mm. And I, I mean, it's not hard to take. If you go into a cubicle, I was in Corning, New York, Corningware company, speaking for the company. And I was going around looking at cubicles. That's a whole building is glass. You, I mean, all glass, everything. You can look through the windows. I mean, it's all glass. The floors are glass, everything. But you go to the cubicles. I walked in and I saw about 25 bowling trophies in one guy's place. So it wasn't hard to tell me that that this guy's into bowling, man. Yeah. He's got pictures of bowling. He's got champions of bowling. He's got bowling equipment. He's got bowling balls. He's got bowling is everywhere. Pretty interesting. Another guy had technology stuff all over the place. And I had another woman who had her children from the time they were very, very young all the way to where they were teens, hundreds of pictures of her children everywhere. So you can tell in their space what's priority to them by what they interact with on a daily basis in their space. In my case, I spend most of my time in front of a computer teaching, researching, and writing. And so that's, that's, that's the dominant thing that I'm interacting with and touching. Even though I've got, you know, mirrors here and other things around me, I don't interact and touch and interact with them. So I look at what am I sensory and motor interacting with most in my space within the four feet of reach and look at what are those highest priority items I do. And it'll tell me what I'm selecting in my space. Mm. The second thing is time. You find time, make time, and spend time on things that are important to you and run out of time for things you don't. If somebody wants you to go out and say, uh, let's just go um, party and just, you know, shoot the, shoot the breeze, man. And, and <laughs> you're not likely to just go hang out with that group yeah. because you're much more productive than that. So that's not, but if somebody says, look, there's a, a group of highly accomplished, very highly reflective and intelligent individuals that are going out and making a massive difference and they're they're wanting to sit down and have a powwow and have a discussion on what we can do to transform the world, you're there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd be there. Yeah. Because you're 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 you know, you you will make the time for something, even if it's two in the morning, you'd make it. You'd be on that mastermind. So you make time for things that are important to you. I, I'm doing podcasts three in the morning, two in the morning, all night. I'm doing stuff at all weird hours of the day as I'm sailing around the world. That doesn't mean anything. Time, I, I make time for things that are important to me. I don't have time for things that aren't. Mm-hmm. And we all do that. 
And anytime you expect yourself to do something that's not high in your values and you procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate, you will start to label yourself, oh, I'm lazy. Oh, I keep procrastinating. No, you don't. Not in your highest value. Mm. But in lower values that you think you should be doing, according to the herd, you're going to label yourself. So anytime you subordinate to others, you're going to automatically start labeling yourself as sabotaging. I'm not focused. I'm not disciplined. What's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? And that all that is just because you're comparing yourself to others instead of comparing your daily actions to what you value most. Wow. So time and space and time are the first two. The third one is energy. When you're doing something that's high in your energy, your go energy goes skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. You know, you you if you're on a roll and you're doing a podcast, you don't you don't care what time it is. You you don't you're, you don't take a break. You're in flow, man. And so you're you're you know your energy is going. And particularly if you get some crazy guy like me on here and you get engaged, or whatever, in a conversation, like time disappears. I forget so to eat. <laughs> you forget to eat exactly <laughs> because your energy goes up whenever you're doing highest values. Your reticular activating system wait where reticular activating system wakes up. Mm-hmm. And it shuts down on your lower values. So you're filtering your reality according to your values. And anything that supports the highest values, you wake up on. Anything that doesn't, you disengage. It's called engagement, disengagement in, mm-hmm. in business. People never go to work for the company. They go to work to fulfill what their values are. And if they can see how their job description fulfills their value, they're engaged. They're alive. They're awake. They're creative. They're productive. Mm-hmm. So the third one is what energizes you most? And what is it that you have more energy at the end of than when you started? Oh man! Because I'll bet you've done podcasts many times where you got more energy than at the end of it than when you started. So let's do it again. Let's go. Let's do another hour. Doctor D Martini, there's been times where I just got out of the gym. I'm dragging, and I sit down. I record three podcasts in a row, and I walk out of the room with more energy than I walked in. That's the point. See, you're on flow. You're you're doing what you love to do, and that's that's the way I do it. See, yeah. that, that that's one of the keys in life. If you're not doing that, you're you're living a quiet life of desperation. The fourth one is the fourth one is money. Just like we mentioned a moment ago, Mm -hmm. the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. Tell me what your values are. I'll tell you where your money's going. When I was in my twenties, my highest value was learning. I was teaching every single day. I was learning every single day. I was reading four to seven books, buying 40 to 70 books a week on average, speed reading books all day. Most of my money was going to education and books. Mm -hmm. Most of it. (laughs) Now with the internet, you don't have to buy as many books. You just go online and it's all there pretty well. So my cost on education is less and more of it's gone into investments. But the reality is that your money is spent according to your values. I, I, I had a guy that I consulted with that made $6.27 million, $6.29 million in one year <laughs> and was in debt, $327,000 had to borrow money to pay his taxes. <laughs> And his assistant made about $40,000 a year and had 16 of that 40000 saved. She was living on the difference. And the difference was her hierarchy of values was more frugal and make sure she's taking care of her finances in the future. His was fancy cars, fancy dining, fancy this, fancy boats, fancy travel, fancy house, fancy this. He was living lifestyle. And was going to get further in debt and was going to have to have a crescendo when he got to an age where he couldn't work anymore, where this girl was going to be set and probably crescendoing and being wealthier than him at the end. Yeah. Because she was saving more than he was, <laughs> investing more than he was. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter how much you make, it's how you manage what you make. And the hierarchy of your values dictates how you manage it. Mm. So fourth one is money. 
The fifth one is where are you most ordered and organized? Where do you have the greatest degree of order and organization? Minds in knowledge, minds in research, minds in travel, minds in investments. The four things that I'm pretty good at. So whatever is highest on your value, bring order to. Whatever's low in your values, you, you, you have chaos to. Anytime you're doing something to tie in your value, your self-worth goes up. Anytime you don't, your self-worth goes down. And anytime you're doing something low in your value, you're depreciating yourself. And so is the world. So if you're not delegating anything that requires extrinsic motivation to do, you're holding yourself back in life. So you hit the I, nail on don't do, I don't do anything but teach, research, write, and travel the world. I even got a <laughs> clock changer to claim, change my clock when it goes to different time zones as we sail. I've got two people, the two, two groups that come in and change my room and clean up my room and everything else. I've got cooks. I've got pilots. I've got... I've got I got somebody for everything that needs to be done, specialists that are more knowledgeable and would love to do that more than I do. And I delegate everything except what I do with my core competence, teach, research, write, and travel. That's I, lo it. I love that you said that because, and sorry to interject, but I used to beat myself up because I used to think I got to do it all. And it took me a long time to even delegate aspects of this podcast. But then when I read the show notes from the first person I hired to write the show notes for the podcast, I was like blown away better than how I do it. They put more energy to it, more care. And it's not that I can't do it. It's more of a force to do it because I enjoy the banter I don't necessarily enjoy so much of the, the nitty gritty and the nuance of things. And at first I used to think to your point, I'm, am I being lazy? Am I just not sitting in the focus no. long enough? No, no, no. You're being wise beyond your years. Oh, I, That's good to hear. Cause my you know, wife would also say, why are you buying more books? Yeah. My, my, my girlfriend says, you know, you're so good at delegating, delegate George Clooney for me. And I said, okay, okay, we'll call George and say, look, you take care of the lovemaking for me. Yeah. She said, I would love you more. I'm joking. I'm, I'm not doing that because I got a hot, hot girlfriend. Yeah. But the point is, the point is, anytime you require external motivation to do something, that's not what inspires you. You're devaluing yourself. Mm. Now, initially, until you are competent at doing a service that you love doing that's that creates a sustainable renewable fair exchange with people you're probably going to do it but the moment you have something that really you love doing that serves people that gives you an income and the moment you delegate lower priority things to allow you to do more of that to generate more income than the cost you're on your way mm. and i learned that i i changed my life from one assistant and myself at age 27 to five doctors, 12 staff members, and a 5,000 square foot office from a 970 square foot office by delegating. And mm -hmm. my income went tenfold, my net income, tenfold. My gross income was way more than that, but my net income was tenfold. So delegation is liberation, as long as not abdication. If you, if you try to escape it to somebody who's incompetent so you can feel superior to them and tell them what to do, you're gonna go nowhere. In fact, you're going to end up with overheads and get yourself in debt. But if you hire people that are more competent, who are inspired and has it highest on their value and love doing what you would like to delegate, and you are accountable to go and do what you love doing that produces more, you're on your way. Mm. So the fifth one is, where do you have the most order and organization? And by the way, these will all point to the same answers if you're honest.
If there's not a pattern there, you're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. They all point similar answers. I fill my space with my computer to teach. I spend my time teaching. Where does my energy come? Teaching. Where's my money go? Teaching industry, you know, business. You know, where am I most organized? My knowledge, my teaching material. Where am I most, the next one, where am I most disciplined? What mm. do you spontaneously do that nobody ever has to remind you to do? Where are you most spontaneously disciplined? And I guarantee you, your banter on the air is probably where it's going to be. In my case, same thing. I love I love teaching. You mm. put me in front of an audience, I'm home, right? I mean, I'm... I've been doing it 50 years, <laughs> every day, 50 years. <laughs> no, that was the thing that, been- that was the thing I had reflected on. Someone said, what was the last time you felt most alive? And it was at a high school football game. I was throwing little footballs out there, but I knew I was doing something, giving to the crowd. And that made me feel alive. And my friend said, well, recreate that. And that ended up being our modern man conference. And I had that feeling again in January, 2020, right before the pandemic shut us down from live conferences for a while, but putting that event on and seeing all those men in the audience, it snapped Dr. Demartini. I said, wow, okay, how can I facilitate this with everything on the back end being taken care of? Because to your point, that is what filled me up, made me feel alive. And from the response from the crowd, they got value from it. And that's the gift that I've decided I want to give to the world. Well, that's the thing. The the, the universe rewards authenticity. Mm. It rewards high priority actions. Mm. It's really quite obvious. I've been studying the brain and physiology and sociology and a lot of different disciplines. And I'm certain that the, the body, the sociological, the psychological, the even... Every event that's going on in life is trying to get you authentic. Everything is offering feedback to try to get you to be the most inspired, most magnificent you. Some neuroscientists think we're here for survival. Absolutely in error. They're doing studies on people that are in survival. Go study except people that are exceptional and really out there doing something like that. You don't find that. You find people automatically are designed to live with an executive function where they have self-governance, they have mastery, they have refined skills, and they love what they're doing and they're pursuing it and they're putting in thousands of hours to master it. Like a Bruce Lee, you know, you know, his movements. Yeah. Or a Michael Jackson's uh, dance, you know, or Michael Jordan's, uh, you know, free throws or whatever it is. The people who find what they love doing, that one thing, as Gary Keller says, that they're inspired by, they just spontaneously put the hours in. And they love coming up with creative new ideas and originating. You know, since I was 20, I've been saying I create original ideas to serve humanity. I have a photographic, autographic mind, whatever I read or retain. It gives me creative ideas that serve human beings. I've been been filling my mind with those statements since I was 20. Mm. And I'm almost 69, which is the best year a man can ever reach, 69. (laughs) I love it. Let me ask you this, and perhaps it's a self-limiting belief. You mentioned the... the self-affirmations. And for me, someone who reads a lot, and I actually was just having this conversation with a friend and my wife was, I was talking about, I read a lot. I soak up books. My comprehension is there. The speed of the reading is not picking up. Am I doing myself a disservice by maybe having the negative self-talk in that barrier? Or am I maybe just still going through the process of growth and need to have a little more patience for where I am in that journey? Well, I don't know. I don't know what you're actually doing. Are you know just as much as you've trained on meteorology, or I think it said meteorology, mm-hmm. just as you uh, 
have been trained in personal development and in sports and speaking and things like that. How many hours have you put into speed reading? I'm just curious. Yeah. Have you put in as many hours in speed reading as you've done into other areas? Intentional speed reading, I would probably say I, I did the 20 hour rule and I got past 40 hours and still working on it a little bit. Still haven't yeah. honed it in. Yeah. I, I see. I have a, I had a high value on reading because I had learning disabilities. I didn't read till I was 18. Okay. And so when I when I found out I could read at age 18, I want to catch up. Mm. So I started to reading, you know, 18, 20 hours a day. And I then asked, how do I do it more effectively and efficiently tomorrow? Because I had a lot of books. I wanted to read whole libraries. Mm -hmm. So if you have a big enough reason for doing it, you'll do it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a big enough reason for doing it, you'll just go to the comfort zone based on the reason you have to get it done. You'll get mm -hmm. exactly what it is because you're going to constantly want to put your energy according to your values. And if it's not really high in your values. Now, today, I don't have it as high in my values as I did when I was in my 20s. My 20s, I, was, I, I didn't go anywhere without a book in my hand. Mm -hmm. I lived with books. Yeah. And I would, I would knock out, you know, I did 11,000 pages in one day reading. So, I mean, I was on, I was on fire to do reading at one time, but now I still read every day. I'm on computer most every single day reading, but I don't have that same push that I did in my twenties. Now I'm doing the same thing speaking. Mm -hmm. I speak, you know, I do 343 to 400 speeches a year, doing 400 podcasts a year. I'm doing, I'm nonstop doing speak speaking. But if you have a high enough value on it, when the why is big enough, the house will take care of themselves. But there are strategies on how to speed up reading. The first strategy is to make sure that whatever you're reading is linked to your highest value by asking how specifically studying this content, this particular book and this material, how's it helping me fulfill my mission? Mm. The more links you make, the more neuroplastic pathways by Hebb's rule are developed in the brain and the more you retain, absorb, retain, and apply the information. Mm. And there's a there's two types of reading or two types of uh, yeah, a gathering of information. And I didn't learn this until I was 24, unconscious reading. There's conscious reading, and most people are trapped in that. Whatever I said with my mouth and spoke, because I'm used to speaking, because we're trained by verbal reading, you know, most people when they're reading, they're, they're going... They're actually speaking, so they'll never read fast by speak because they can only read as fast as they can speak. There has to be a visual reading to get to fast numbers. And there's an unconscious reading. That means information was there. It went in, but you didn't believe it because you filtered it. And so then you only thought you remembered what you remember of that, and that's very finite. Mm. But when you need the information under a challenging situation where somebody asks you a question, knowledge that you didn't know you had surfaces. So in order to awaken the unconscious visual reading that I was working on, is I constantly on a daily basis put together challenging Q&A programs together where students could ask me any question about any book that I'd read. And then that would just bring out information that I, I didn't even know I had. Yeah. And then I train my mind to say, I have a photographic, autographic mind, whatever I read or retain. So I don't have to be anxious about it. When I need it, it'll be there. But I may not be conscious. I know it until they ask the question. And I learned about unconscious reading, and that's way more powerful than conscious reading. I need to work on that. Dr. DiMartini, we can keep going, but as we come towards the end here, um, we're honing in on our values. And just one thing I picked up on that you kind of mentioned that I maybe want to elaborate on a little bit, give you the opportunity to elaborate on a little bit. When you mentioned how in your 20s, reading being higher up in your values, it sounds like over time, 
as we mature, as we grow, our values can mold and shape a little bit. Uh, speak a yes. little bit more on that. Yeah, well, when I was three to 13, baseball was it. Mm. From 13 to 18, surfing big waves in Hawaii was it. I rode big waves. Yeah. I nearly died right at 17, 18. And that was the day my mission and vision came to be overcome my learning problems and become a teacher. Mm-hmm. Now that's 50 years. I'm hoping the next one will be international sex symbol, you know, and take over <laughs> Hugh Hefner's office. Place. Working that's on a joke. It. <laughs> yeah, that's a joke. But, the, the, but, but most likely I'll go down teaching because I love that. That's what inspires me. I have no desire to move away from that. Mm-hmm. But your values will change either gradually through tweaking or cataclysmic events can change it. I had a woman that was in Cape Town, South Africa, that came to my my signature program, The Breakthrough Experience, where I teach people how to break through whatever's in their way to what they want to do and how to get clear about what they want to do. And there was a lady there that had four children in the morning, packed all her her car up with four children on the way to the mall to go shopping. A truck ran over the car. She was the only survivor. Four kids were killed. So she was a mother in the morning, no longer a mother in the afternoon. That's a cataclysmic change. Mm-hmm. So her her value system, boom, left field, went to a totally different direction because, you know, she just got young kids that were eight and younger, all of a sudden gone. So that's a that's a massive change. And people can have a health issue, find out they got cancer, have a, a death in the family, a, a career that's been changed, a retrenchment. There's all kinds of things that can make a cataclysmic change for people. So some people have it gradual tweaking. When they live by their highest values, usually slight adaptations, constantly maneuvering. If they're living by lower values, it's usually a cataclysmic event hitting bottom before they make a change. Yeah. But we change through it. And so our values are evolving. The the each of our the hierarchy of our values are dictating our destiny. Each of those change in values creates a slightly different destiny. And the journey of life is the summation of those destinies. In my case, there was something common to all of them. So the same thing as a child, baseball is shaped like a cone. You know, it's it's got a point and it comes down to a, a circle like that. Mm-hmm. Surfing is a cone sideways. And I use conical diagrams to teach with today. So I for some reason, I must have been the original cone head. I don't know. <laughs> that was a common denominator in all three of them. Yeah. But 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 I'd like to I'd like to say that I didn't get to finish the value determination. I took too much time on that. Please. But but there are 13 value determinants. I gave about five of them or six of them. Mm-hmm. If they go on my website, drdmartini.com, there's a complimentary, free, private questionnaire that you just type in the answers and it will print it out and give you a nice summary of what your life is demonstrating your value. Mm. I recommend doing it a week from now, a month from now, and every quarter. And just keeping them, you can store it on the computer. It's, it's free for you. But just go through and take a look at it. I assure you it will be eye-opening. It will be eye-opening for people because what people think they value and what their life demonstrates are rarely the same. And I'll be sure to have that link in the show notes for for our listeners and our watchers to to go ahead and and get that free resource. Dr. John D. Martini, this has been amazing. I want to make sure that our audience has a way to follow more of your work, get in contact with you, and and continue to, to... learn more of the amazing education that you're sharing. So so what's the best way for folks to follow some of what you're doing and what you're working on? Just drdmartini.com, drdmartini.com. 
D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com, drdmartini.com. If they go on that or Dr. Demartini podcast show, whatever, the Demartini mm-hmm. show, I think it's called. If yeah. they just go and take advantage of the, the website, they will be there for the rest of their life because there's so much material on there. I love it. And I must say a huge fan of the newsletter as well. I love how your articles come out and you say with you, whether you prefer this in video form, text form, audio, you provide it in, in all of that. So I really do appreciate that because I get to absorb it, whether I'm driving, have time to sit down and read it or can watch. So I'll make sure that folks have the opportunity to do that. I'm going to recap as best as I can in a very short, abbreviated way. This should be immense amount of value that you've given us on values and how we can maybe get past our quote unquote procrastination, identify our hierarchy of values, and then continue to move forward towards that life we should live. Prioritization of those values can help opening up our eyes, whether we say if we want to be financially independent, if our actions are not following that, that might be a hint that we need to make some changes in our lives or maybe kind of reassess what our values actually might be. Um, And then values are revealed by what your life demonstrates. And then the 10 things that you're going to do with the $10 million, give yourself 60 seconds to write that down. Now, I think for folks that know it's coming, they could probably prepare themselves. So maybe the art of surprise is more effective in that practice. But when you talked about the the items, you mentioned they were 12, but I wrote down your space, your time, your energy, your money, where you're organized and you're ordered, where you're disciplined. Those are all areas that you will hint towards what your values actually are. That's how your life will demonstrate. Delegate or depreciate. If you're not delegating those things that are below your values, you're depreciating yourself. And of course, the delegation is liberation. And get authentic. Life is pushing us to be authentic. And as men, I want you all who are watching or listening, women as well, please find your authentic self and give it to the world because the world deserves the gifts that you have within you. Dr. D. Martini, this has been amazing for the folks that made it to the end. Thank you so much. Share this with a friend if you got value from it. Hit that like button, subscribe to get a new episode each and every single week. And please leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing because we would love to improve and get better for you. But as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without the pain. Let's grow. Let's get past it today. I think we're going to do a great job.